So 2 Chronicles 30 is where we're at, and if you're able to, go ahead and stand with me as we read God's Word together, and uh, feel free to sit down if you need to as we read through this as well. 2 Chronicles 30, verse, beginning in verse 1. Hezekiah, I forgot to set this up, Hezekiah, is, you know, we were in 2 Chronicles 20 last week, this week we're in... Uh, 2 Chronicles 30 and 2 Chronicles 29, there's a new king, Hezekiah. He's restoring worship uh, in the temple. The northern kingdom has just been carried away into captivity just about less than 10 years ago. And now we enter into 2 Chronicles 30 where King Hezekiah of the southern kingdom is calling the people to worship. Both the people in the southern kingdom and those in the northern kingdom who were left and were not carried away into captivity by the Assyrian Empire Verse 1, Hezekiah sent to all Israel and Judah and wrote letters also to Ephraim and Manasseh that they should come to the house of the Lord at Jerusalem to keep the Passover to the Lord, the God of Israel. For the king and his princes and all of the assembly in Jerusalem had taken counsel to keep the Passover in the second month, for they could not keep it at that time because the priests had not consecrated themselves in sufficient number, nor had the people assembled in Jerusalem. And the plan seemed right to the king and all the assembly. So they decreed to make a proclamation throughout all Israel, from Beersheba to Dan, that the people should come and keep the Passover to the Lord, the God of Israel, at Jerusalem, for they had not kept it as often as prescribed. So couriers went throughout all Israel and Judah with letters from the king and his princes, as the king had commanded, saying, O people of Israel, return to the Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, that he may turn again to the remnant of you who have escaped from the hand of the kings of Assyria. Do not be like your fathers and your brothers who were faithless to the Lord God of their fathers, so that he made them as a desolation as you see. Do not now be stiff-necked as your fathers were, but yield yourselves to the Lord and come to his sanctuary, which he has consecrated forever, and serve the Lord your God that his fierce anger may turn away from you. For if you return to the Lord, your brothers and your children will find compassion with their captors and return to this land. For the Lord your God is gracious and merciful and will not turn away his face from you if you return to him. So the couriers went from city to city through the country of Ephraim and Manasseh and as far as Zebulun, But they laughed them to scorn and mocked them. However, some men of Asher, of Manasseh, and of Zebulun humbled themselves and came to Jerusalem. The hand of God was also on Judah to give them one heart to do what the king and the priests commanded by the word of the Lord. And many people came together in Jerusalem to keep the Feast of Unleavened Bread in the second month, a very great assembly. They set to work and removed the altars that were in Jerusalem and all the altars for burning incense they took away and threw into the Kidron Valley. And they slaughtered the Passover lamb on the 14th day of the second month. And the priests and the Levites were ashamed, so they consecrated themselves and brought burnt offerings into the house of the Lord. They took their accustomed posts according to the law of Moses, the man of God. The priests threw the blood that they received from the hand of the Levites, for there were many in the assembly who had not consecrated themselves. Therefore the Levites had to slaughter the Passover lamb for everyone who was not clean to consecrate it to the Lord. For a majority of the people, many of them from Ephraim, Manasseh, Issachar, and Zebulun, 
had not cleansed themselves, yet they ate the Passover otherwise than is prescribed. For Hezekiah had prayed for them, saying, May the good Lord pardon everyone who sets his heart to seek God, the Lord, the God of his fathers, even though not according to the sanctuary's rules of cleanness. And the Lord heard Hezekiah and healed the people. And the people of Israel who were present at Jerusalem kept the Feast of Unleavened Bread seven days with great gladness. And the Levites and the priests praised the Lord day by day, singing with all their might to the Lord. And Hezekiah spoke encouragingly to all the Levites who showed good skill in the service of the Lord. So they ate the food of the festival for seven days, sacrificing peace offerings and giving thanks to the Lord, the God of their fathers. Then the whole assembly agreed together to keep the feast for another seven days. So they kept it for another seven days with gladness. For Hezekiah, king of Judah, gave the assembly a thousand bulls and seven thousand sheep for offerings. And the princes gave the assembly a thousand bulls and ten thousand sheep. And the priests consecrated themselves in great numbers. The whole assembly of Judah and the priests and the Levites and the whole assembly that came out of Israel and the sojourners who came out of the land of Israel and the sojourners who lived in Judah rejoiced. So there was great joy in Jerusalem. For since the time of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel, there had been nothing like this in Jerusalem. Then the priests and the Levites arose and blessed the people and their voice was heard and their prayer came to his holy habitation in heaven. Now when all this was finished, all Israel who were present went out to the cities of Judah and broke in pieces the pillars and cut down the Asherim and broke down the high places and the altars throughout all Judah and Benjamin and Ephraim and Manasseh until they had destroyed them all. And then all the people of Israel returned to their cities, every man to his possession. You may be seated. May God encourage us through his word this morning. And Father, we ask that to be true. We thank you for the grace you give us to approach you this morning. Help us to do so with joy, gladness, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Whitney and I were sitting out on our porch drinking our morning cup of coffee a few days ago, and we were talking just kind of about general things. We try to catch up on the calendar and things like that, and and then just, just was asking, you know, kind of how she was doing, and she was asking how I was doing. We started talking about um, our kids and how we hope that our, our kids don't make the same mistakes that we did in some areas, how we hope that they come up with a whole bunch of new mistakes that they make, and we we're kind of talking through that, and, and then we we're kind of asking each other, well, what mistakes do we think that we made as kids? How would we want our kids to be different? And I told Whitney, I said, you know, I, I hope that our kids are, are more open are more transparent than I was sometimes with my parents or with my youth leaders, with, with people who loved me in the church, that they would just, just be very honest about things that they're thinking, about actions or thought attitude, thoughts or attitudes, and just, just be very, very open, something I struggled with and, and still would say I struggle with that, that they would just, just be open. I said, I, I hope that kind of for two reasons. One, one's the obvious reason that I hope that they would be honest with people who love them so that people who love them could help them be accountable and, and help them to, to grow. So for example, if I had been more open, maybe a, a, 
a youth leader would have said, hey, you know, you've said that this group of friends, you're not responding to them the way you should. You're not being a witness for Christ the way that you should in that area. You know, let me help pray for you in that area, and, and I can be accountable to them. So I, that's, that's one reason, obviously, that I could be accountable to people, or I'd, I'd want that transparency so that could have taken place in my life, could have dealt with sin better in, in that regard. I said, but also, you know, you know what I think would have been helpful? What have, would have just been so helpful for me to know at that young age? It would have been helpful for me if I could have told a person, look, this is, this is what I struggle with. This is what I'm thinking. And for a person who I love and who loved me to say, yeah, you're, you're right. That's, that's a bad thing. That's, that's a wrong thought. You're, you're right to be grieved by that, but God still loves you, he forgives you, and, and you can engage in worship of God. You can be right before God. Now, it's not like people weren't telling me that kind of in, in theory, like I, my parents, the church, I was getting good theology, I knew that God forgives sin, I knew that you could worship God, but, but I, I just, if, if someone, if I had known that someone knew what I had done and would still say yes, God, that specific thing that you're struggling with, God forgives, and here's how you can repent and move in your relationship with God. That would have been just, I think it would have been so freeing for me to, to know that and to have someone affirm that specifically. What a, what a joy that would have been to my soul. That's what I told Whitney a few days ago, maybe a week ago or so. I think a lot of us struggle with worship and sin. Some people, when they, they come into the church on a Sunday morning, for example, maybe their struggle is to, to not recognize the seriousness of sin. So if someone says, yeah, I, I know that I struggle with, with sin, but you know what? Um, my neighbor, he's way worse than I am, and so I'm not really, you know, I don't think it affects my relationship with God. Or, or some of us struggle with sin in this way. They say, you know, um, I've I've had this problem in my marriage. I've had this problem with my kids. I've had this problem at work. I have this, this, this addiction, this struggle. And, and because of this, this thing, I, I need to get this thing fixed before I'm able to worship God. That's how some people struggle with worship and sin. Other people would say, you know what? Um, I've got this sin. I think this is where a lot of us perhaps would be, maybe not even consciously, but I think this is, this is where some of us are emotionally, spiritually. Yeah, I've, I've, got this, I've got this sin. And I know theologically God forgives sin, but it's hard for me to imagine that I'm, I'm right with God because this, this sin exists. And so I'm going to come into church, I'm going to pray to God, I'm going to do the things that, that a Christian does, but I'm kind of a fraud. And if the people around me knew what was really going on in my heart this past week, they would not accept me. They would ask me to leave. I, I don't belong here. I think many people struggle with that. Here's kind of the main thing that I want us to grasp as we look at 2 Chronicles 30. 2 Chronicles 30 is, is such a beautiful passage. Here's what I want us to grasp. Despite what happened yesterday, today you can fully worship God with joy. 
I think that as I come to 2 Chronicles 30, we came to 2 Chronicles 30 as a, as a family reading through the Bible and came to 2 Chronicles 30 uh, several years ago in our family devotion time. And it was just, this passage is just such a, a chapter full of, of joy to my soul, just kind of this, this fresh air to my soul. And I, I talked about it a few weeks later at a feast of thanks, just kind of a few devotional thoughts. And I said, I want to preach on this someday. And so now here in our, our last Sunday before we begin Galatians, I want to look at this passage with you. And I, I think that it's, it's just a, a passage of great encouragement. Despite what happened yesterday, despite the circumstances that bring you here today, despite whatever happened to you yesterday that affects how you're feeling as you sit in that seat this morning, today you have the ability by God's grace to fully worship him with joy. A couple thoughts that I want you to think through with me as we go through this passage. Here's the first one. Number one, sin in our past doesn't disqualify us from worshiping now. Sin in our past does not disqualify us from worshiping now. In chapter 29, Hezekiah is trying to restore worship. He's trying to get the temple rebuilt and things back to where they need to be. And and the again, the northern kingdom has been carried off into captivity by the Assyrian Empire and things are are not great. We're about seven kings from King Jehoshaphat that we looked at last week. And Hezekiah is trying to restore this this worship. And if you were a person who is kind of a discouraging person, and you're there in the 8th century as Hezekiah is trying to restore worship and celebrate the Passover, this great feast to God, you could have had some things to say to this group of people as they try to restore worship to Hezekiah and the princes. One thing you could have said is this, look, hey, guys, I know that you want to do this, and, and, you know, kudos for you. That's, That's great. I'm glad you want to worship God. All of us want to worship God, but here's the problem. One thing is that the timing's not right. The timing's not right. As you look at those first four verses in chapter 30, what do you see? You see that this is the second month. Now, when do we know from our study of the Pentateuch, are they supposed to worship? They're supposed to worship in the 14th month, Numbers chapter 9. In Numbers chapter 9, God says to Moses, keep the Passover at its appointed time. When is the appointed time? On the 14th day of the first month at twilight, you shall keep it at its appointed time. According to all its statutes and all its rules, you shall keep it. And so what does the discourager say? The discourager says, look, guys, again, great idea. All, I'm all for worshiping God, but look, you guys have messed up. It was supposed to be the first month. You guys weren't ready. Now it's the second month. Not only just the first month. First month, 14th day at twilight, that's when Passover begins We're in the second month. We we can't do this thing. The discourager might also say, not only can we not do this because of the the issue of the timing, the the country isn't right. The nation isn't right. We are a divided nation. First Kings tells us why the nation was divided. It was because of worshiping false gods. God tells Jeroboam through a prophet, he says, the people have forsaken me. They've worshiped Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, Chemosh, the god of Moab, Milcom, the god of the Ammonites, haven't walked in my ways, doing what's right, keeping my statutes. And so, look, 
again, the discourager says, you know, I'm all for worshiping God, but the timing is wrong. The, the, the nation is wrong. Not only is the nation wrong, he could say the priests are wrong. The priests aren't right before God. You look at the, the text here, and the priests aren't even ready. You look at, at the end of chapter 29, and it says that in, in verse 34, the priests are too few. They can't flay all the burnt offerings. You come to verse 3 of chapter 30, and it says they can't they, they couldn't keep it during the first month because the priests had not consecrated themselves in sufficient numbers, nor were the people there. And then as you come later here to verses 13 through 16, you, you still see that the priests don't have the same zeal that the people do. It says the, the priests are feeling shame. And so the, the priests aren't ready. And not only, okay, says the discourager, look, Hezekiah, princes, even if, even if the timing was right, even if the the nation was right, even if the priests were right, our leaders, even if they were right, the people aren't ready. There are these, Hezekiah, whenever he decides that he wants to celebrate the Passover, they send out messengers not just to the southern kingdom, but they send messengers out to the remnants in the northern kingdom. And if the, if the people in the southern kingdom who have been thinking about this still weren't all consecrated, much less the people in the north. They show up and they are, they're not consecrated. Many, it says in the assembly, verse 17, had, had not consecrated themselves. It says a majority, verse 18, of the people, many of them from Ephraim, Manasseh, Issachar, Zebulun, so the, the northern kingdom, they hadn't cleansed themselves. And yet, what are they going to do? They're going to eat the Passover otherwise than as prescribed. So here I am, I'm the discourager. I say, guys, look. The, t- the, the Word of God says this is when the Passover is supposed to be celebrated. The timing is, is wrong. The, the nation is wrong. The priests aren't prepared. The people aren't prepared. We can't do this. We have sinned too greatly to be able to celebrate the Passover. There are times that I talk to people at, at, who have attended Bethany who have told me, they've said, look, um, I, don't feel, I don't feel like I can worship at Bethany. I don't feel like I have my, my act together the way that other people do. I don't, I don't know all the theological terms that, that other people seem to know. I, I don't have good kids the way that other people seem to have all these good kids, or my relationship with my spouse isn't, you know, I don't, I don't have my life together the way that other people at Bethany have their life together. And I say, look, let me give you some names and just talk to these people. And then you'll feel, no. Um, come hang out with my family after church. Well, you'll feel fine, right? And, and I, seriously, I, I hope that our, our church doesn't convey some sort of, of, of perverse understanding about what it looks like to, to be obedient to God and, and we're not some... Uh, people trying to present a facade of who we are. But at the same time, I encourage people to say, look, um, you can't wait to get your act together to worship God. That's not how this, this thing works. Look at how Hezekiah, let's, let's look at these verses again and, and think about these issues that have been identified and, and think through how Hezekiah responds here. And it, it's, it's so beautiful. First of all, to those who say the timing isn't right, what does Hezekiah say? He says, look, um, we couldn't do it in the first month. We're going to do it in the second. 
Now, there's, there's some biblical precedence for this. Remember, I quoted Numbers 9, talking about when the Passover should be. In that same passage, in Numbers 9, there are some people who weren't able to celebrate it in the first month. And so what do they do? They do the second month. Now, that wasn't a whole nationwide thing, but Hezekiah, the princes get together and they say, look, um, we're here in this situation. We want to worship God. We can't worship God. Is, is this an appropriate way to interpret Scripture and be obedient to God and have a right heart attitude? And they decide, you know what? We, th- we think it is. We believe it is. And we're, we're going to do this. What about the issue of, of the divided kingdom? The people aren't unified. Well, look at what Hezekiah does with that. Hezekiah sends couriers throughout these regions saying, hey, let's, let's pursue reconciliation, and let's pursue reconciliation not through coercion. I'm not going to, you know, not because you're in a weakened state, I'm going to send my forces and, and force you to uh, engage in worship with this. I'm not going to do it through some sort of contract. What I'm going to do is encourage us to engage in unity through repentance, and he encourages the people in the northern kingdom to repentance. And, and this is so beautiful. Again, notice a couple things here. We've, we've talked about repentance a lot recently, but notice just a couple things here. He says the, the message to them is to return, verse 6, return to where God has, has told us to be, return to him, return to Yahweh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, Israel, our, our common father, that God may turn again to you. And then he says not just return, but turn from the sins of your fathers. Don't be like your fathers and your brothers who were faithless to the Lord God of their fathers so that he made them be a desolation, as you see. So, okay, here's, here's the path of sin, and, and here's God, and recognize that you're on this path of sin and, and turn back to God. And then he says, don't be proud, humble yourself, verse 8. And then, then this is, again, so beautiful what he says in verse 9. For if you return to Yahweh, if you return to the Lord, those who are in exile, your brothers, your children, they're going to find compassion with their their captors. God's going to bring them back to this land. And then he says, for the Lord your God, for Yahweh is gracious and merciful and will not turn away his face from you if you return to him. Now that is profoundly beautiful. So a couple things I want you to see. First of all, the return is instantaneous. I've uh, sometimes when we go traveling and want to kind of uh, get going in the morning, I might go for a little run or something, and sometimes I have to go kind of early. And there have been times that I've been in places where um, I would say I wasn't totally sure where I was because I get lost and turned around in the, this in the new place. So one time I was I was uh, kind of turned around in an area and, and suddenly I, I it was dark and I had just a little flashlight that I was running with and suddenly I, I come up, up across like a I'm underneath a, a bridge in a downtown area and I come across like a tent city and I think this this is probably not where I want to be at, at five o'clock in the morning. So I'm having to figure out, okay, now how do I get back? I'm turning, but I'm turning to wrong place after wrong place. And, you know, you know Whitney is getting kind of worried about me. I come back, where have you been? Oh, just out and about, you know. Uh, I'm not, inst- I can't instantaneously get back to where I need to be. 
Now, returning to God is different. I can, be, I can be as far removed as you can imagine, and God in his grace, when he calls me, can instantaneously bring me back into relationship with him. Returning to him is not some sort of complicated maze by which I, I figure out, okay, say this and do this and say this and, and don't do that and kind of navigate my, myself back into relationship with God. Returning to God is an instantaneous thing. And not only that, but turning to God and asking for his forgiveness is different than asking forgiveness from other human beings. I don't care how close you are to another human being and how many times that they've forgiven you. And maybe you have a 30-year history with another person, a 50-year history with another person that are gracious and, and that's beautiful and that's wonderful. But even with the, with the most godly of all people, when, when you wrong them and you come to them and you ask them for forgiveness, they're human. And in their humanity, in their frailty, there's going to be some aspects of forgiveness that they potentially struggle with. So you, you come to them and say, we forgive me. Some people in a, in a relationship, some people are going, to be, are going to have a hard time saying yes. So, yeah, I guess I forgive you. Some people are going to say, will you forgive me? And they're going to say yes, but they're going to mean no. Some people you're going to say, will you forgive me? They're going to say yes, and then they're going to have to remind themselves, oh yeah, I forgave them again and again and again. Now, that's, that's not how it is with God. Yesterday, we were working on a, a project as a family, and it was, we were taking down the swing set, and it was a little sad, you know, to, to take down the swing set that our kids have played on. And, and uh, some of our children, it seemed, didn't have as... as as happy an attitude as maybe would be ideal. And so I, I talked to one of our children. And I said, you seem a little unhappy. Your, your face seems a little downcast. Let's, let's turn this thing around. And uh, this child said, no, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm fine. I'm not, you know, sorry. I didn't, you know, the face didn't mean to express something that my heart wasn't feeling. They didn't say it that eloquently. Um, <laughs> I said, uh, hey, I'm sorry. We, we forgive me? I didn't mean to accuse you of, of something that wasn't true. And the child said, uh, I'll forgive you if you give me an, an apology, Dr. Pepper. And I said, a, a what? An apology, Dr. Pepper. Like, I'm sorry, here's the Dr. Pepper. I'll forgive you. I'm like, no, there's, there's no such thing as an apology, Dr. Pepper, right? But I said, you've just made the sermon. Um, because that's how, that's, how we, that's how we think of forgiveness. Okay, I'll forgive you, but let's do this. Now, that's, that's not how it is with God. Forgiveness with God is, is full and complete in a way that you and I can't even comprehend. You come to God, and here's what verse 9 says. There, there's no doubt. There's no, will he forgive me? Will he not forgive me? The Lord your God is, is gracious. He's merciful. He will not turn away his face from you if you return to him. Now, that is just something that I think is a, a theological truth that we need to hear and cling to. God accepts the repentant sinner always and immediately. Let me say that again. God accepts the repentant sinner always and immediately. Now, how does that help us? Think about all the, the passages about repentance. Luke 18, 13, the, the Pharisee compared to the tax collector. The tax collector is standing far off. He, he won't even lift his eyes to heaven. He, he beats his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner who receives forgiveness, the tax collector. Psalm 41, 4, God 
Be gracious to me, heal me, for I have sinned against you, and God heals. God is the God who forgives. Now, as we think about this first truth, sin in our past doesn't disqualify us from worshiping now. Let me, let me just encourage you to, to think, through, uh, think through our legalistic tendencies, the, the temptation toward legalism. This is a great segue into Galatians that we're going to begin next week. All of us walked in here uh, this morning not as we ought to be. Some of us walked in here with sin from yesterday. Uh, some of us walked in here uh, struggling with sin against us. Some of us this morning would say, I, I'm, in a, I'm in a marriage relationship, and I'm in a marriage relationship this morning, and it, it began... 15 years ago or 20 years ago in less than ideal terms, and, and I've, I've struggled with the guilt of that and, and what happened in our relationship or maybe relationships before, or I've done something wrong to a coworker, or I'm, I'm currently in an argument with someone, someone who goes to this church, someone who's, who's sitting next to me right now, and, and how in the world can I be right before God? And here's what legalism tells us. Here's what our heart of, of, of the discouraging legalist tells us. Legalism says, look, um, you can... You can do the works necessary to get yourself out of this, this mess. And so the, the heart of the legalist tells them on a Sunday morning, you're not right before God and you can't get right before God and you, you can't engage in worship until you get right with, with God. The heart of the legalist says, okay, you're okay because you've, you've done these things, but you better toe the line from now on or you're not going to stay okay or the, the heart of the legalist says, okay, I'm, I'm toast, but maybe, just maybe. The legalistic heart says, okay, you're, you're not okay, but, but fake it. But here's, here's the good news. The good news is that God is always ready to receive you fully and immediately. That brings us to the second thing I want us to think about. Sin in our past can't be atoned for by our own efforts. Sin in our past can't be atoned for by our own efforts. Now, when we say that God is always willing to accept us, that doesn't mean that God is, is not aware of sin. It doesn't mean that, that God doesn't uh, think about our sin and just say, ah, you know what, I, I love them so much I'm not going to think about their sin. That, that's not how this works. Our, our sin must be dealt with. Now, it's not like Hezekiah is saying, you know what, uh, we, we didn't keep in the first month. Who cares? Let's just do the second month. You know what, priest? God's cool. Let's, let's just do, do what we can and, and just see how this goes. No, there's, there's a recognition. We sinned. We're where we are because we blew it. Now we're, we're turning to God, and, and God, there's nothing, you know, I'm coming to you with open hands. There's, there's nothing I have that can, that can fix this. Please, please accept me. It says that as they came before God ceremonially unclean, in violation of what God had said worship was supposed to look like, it said that, that Hezekiah prays here in beginning in verse 18, may the, Lord, may the good Lord pardon everyone. So there's, there's forgiveness there. It's not just saying, ah, sin's not sin. May the good Lord pardon everyone who sets his heart to seek God, the Lord. 
Yahweh, the God of his fathers, even though not according to the sanctuary's rules of cleanness. So they're, they're coming before God with hearts of repentance saying, we, we can't do anything. We're, we're stuck. We're in this place because of our sin. We're throwing ourselves upon your grace and your forgiveness because of your character and who you are. And verse 20 says, the Lord heard Hezekiah and he healed the people. He offered full and complete forgiveness. Only God can give this heart of repentance. I was thinking about Acts chapter 8, and in Acts chapter 8, there's that story of, of Simon, uh, Simon, called Simon the Magician, and Simon hears the gospel, and he responds to some of the truths of the gospel, and then he sees the, apostle do, the apostles doing all these amazing, miraculous things, and Simon's like, man, I want to do some of those crazy things, and so he says, hey guys, I will give you some money if you let me have some of this power too, and Peter says, look, Simon, it is very obvious that you do not understand the gospel. He says, may, this is Peter to Simon, may your silver perish with you because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. Then he says in verse 22, Repent therefore of this wickedness of yours and pray to the Lord that if possible the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. He's saying, look, you need forgiveness, you need repentance, and it's only God who can grant it. Cry out to him and, and plead for it. As we find ourselves aware of our past sin, we don't come before God saying, okay, God, um, let's do it. Let's, let's do this thing. Let's do an installment plan. I'll start worshiping you today. And, you know, tomorrow I'll stop swearing. And the day after that, I'm going to give up this. And the day after that, I'm going to do that. And then we're just going to kind of work to where I need to be. But let's, let's do this thing. That's not how repentance works. I recognize that I'm separated from God. And I come to God and I say, there's, there's nothing I can do. God, please give me a heart of repentance and allow me to fully turn my heart toward you. It's only you who can do this. That brings us to the last truth here. Worship in the present. Worship right now. It's a response of joyful love by the forgiven. Worship in the present is not a response of, of the self-righteous. It's not a response of those who have finally gotten everything together. Worship right now, today, is a response of joyful love by those who have been forgiven. Notice what happens here. The people, the are forgiven, and now the forgiven people experience the joy of relationship with Yahweh God. Verse 21, the, these people of Israel who are, are present, and, and the priests and Levites, they praised, it says they, um, they kept the Feast of Unleavened Bread seven days with great gladness, and the Levites and the priests praised the Lord day by day, singing with all their might to the Lord. And then Hezekiah exhorts and encourages and then they go on even longer. They say, you know what? This is pretty good. Let's do this another seven days. And they do that. They don't say, okay, we've done our seven days of duty, of drudgery. We've, we've praised God. Hopefully he's happy now. No. Notice the chronology. They are people who are disobedient, right? They are where they are at because of their sin. And then they, they turn to God. And as they turn to God, they worship him with joy. And God receives them and then, after there's worship and restoration relationship, then there's continued acts of obedience. It says that the people continue to tear down the idols and they continue to experience the joy of walking in obedience to God. But that, that chronology is important. 
Recognition of sin, turning to it, receiving God's forgiveness, worshiping him with joy, walking in obedience. Walking in obedience doesn't cause the person to develop a right standing before God. It flows out of that right standing before God by his grace. Be very, very careful, beloved. Be very, very careful not to to fool yourself, deceive yourself into thinking these, these things that I do have created a, a right heart before God. We're constantly warned against that in Scripture. Hosea 6.6, 6, I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. Micah 6, 6, with what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my sin, for my transgression, the fruit of my body, for the sin of my soul? He has told you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice, to love kindness, to walk humbly with your God." Jesus says in Matthew 9, 13, Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I came not to call the righteous but sinners. Worship in the present is the response of joyful love by the forgiven. Now, what's the basis of our forgiveness? God doesn't just ignore sin, pretend like sin doesn't happen. He sends his son, Jesus Christ. The sacrifices that Hezekiah offers here point to this this ultimate sacrifice of Jesus. And you and I come into relationship with God, not on the basis of our works, but on the basis of our faith and our great God and Savior, Jesus. Just a couple of thoughts, hopefully of encouragement of application here. As you think about coming before God and worshiping him, let's focus first on the heart and and then the application, right? So instead of saying, okay, I'm going I'm to be, be a person who tithes. I'm going to be a person who serves in this ministry. I'm going to be a person who comes to church every Sunday. And those things I'm going to look to as, as signs that I'm in the right relationship with God. Let's start with our heart. Do I love God? Do, do I love others? And now as I love God and I love others, we can talk about ministry and about tithing and about service and all of those things. But let's, let's start with our hearts. Another encouragement is this, uh, don't place burdens on yourself and others when it comes to worship. Don't place legalistic burdens on yourself and others in terms of, of what right worship looks like. Again, another coffee time uh, with Whitney this past week, we were sitting there and uh, we were, um, she kept getting texts on her phone. And I said, is, there, you know, is everything okay? Is there like some sort of emergency in, in Whitney World or something I need to know about or something? She goes, no. Um, she goes, while I was doing my devotional time this morning and praying, I just kept th- thinking of people uh, that, that I was praying for, and so I was texting them to let them know I was praying for them. And I said, whoa, you were texting while praying? Like, if driving while texting is bad, surely, uh, or it's, one of the texting while driving. What you know what I mean? If that's bad, how much like you're talking to to God and and don't you feel like that's a little disrespectful to interrupt him and talk to people and text? And she goes, "No, I I never thought of it that way." I said, "No, I I wouldn't either. I do the same thing, right?" 
But, but how burdensome to say, look, you, you, uh, if, you don't do, if you don't pray exactly this way, and if, if you don't pray at exactly this time, and if you're not in this posture, and if you're not doing exactly this thing, then, then, then that's not real devotion. Do, do it this way. That's what the discourager in Second Chronicles 30, if there had been one, w- would have been saying. But what does Hezekiah say? Look, this is, this is who we are. And let's just enjoy our relationship with God. This is not some contract we interview. This is a, a covenant relationship with God. Let's enjoy the joy of relationship with him. Don't place burdens on yourselves or others. And I would encourage you, pursue corporate worship with joy. Pursue corporate worship with joy. Brothers and sisters, as we come together, this is not a time of drudgery. It's not a time of us getting together to, to, to check off, okay, we did the, the worship today. Well, let's enjoy this. Let's enjoy engaging. And, you know, honestly, this is one of the reasons I'm excited about us kind of trying out the, the one service here in a, a month and, and being with all of our brothers and sisters all at the same time. Uh, let's, let's enjoy worshiping together. Let's, let's worship for Another 45 minutes through the preaching. Of the, no, I'm just kidding. Um, that's what they did here. We don't have to do that. No, not, no legalistic burdens. But let's enjoy worshiping corporately together. doesn't matter what happened yesterday. Today, by God's grace, through our faith in Jesus, what do we have the opportunity to do? We have the opportunity to worship him fully with joy. What a beautiful passage. What a beautiful reminder. What a great segue into Galatians that will begin next week by God's grace. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would be gracious to us. We pray that you would continue to open your word to us. We pray that our hearts would seek your son Jesus and him alone. We pray this in his name. Amen.